Good morning. While the guys are doing this, do me a favor, would you take out your cell phones? And uh, while your cell phone is out, I want you to look around the room and see if someone is missing. Just look around the room. For someone that is normally here that's not here today, uh, you're probably noticing that Ron Miller's not here today. Last night he had some sort of allergy sinus attack and he's not feeling really good, so he stayed home. Hit Ron up with a, with a text and just tell him you love him and you miss him. Garvisa's not here today, but she's probably watching and she's probably wanting to kill me right now for doing this. Go ahead and hit her up with a text and say, we miss you, we love you, come on back. Look around, find somebody, anybody who's not here, and let's uh, let them know that we miss them, all right? Cool. No, not shame. No, no shame. No, 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 no shame. All right. Guys, I am uh, doing something that's a little risky uh, in my teaching today. I want to use this whiteboard to, to try and share with you some truth uh, that I have learned uh, in my life and that I find to be extremely important. Now, my goal is that you guys over there can see the whiteboard on that screen. Is that happening? Can you like see this whiteboard? You can? No, not yet. Okay, we're still working on that then. All right, great. All right, so if that doesn't happen, just get up and come over here and find a chair. There we go. Suck it in. Oh! There are way too many me's on the board. Somebody kill this projector and maybe it'll be, everything will be okay. Oh, yeah. All right, all right, all right. I, I want to begin by uh, putting something into, into context. You know, um, let me just ask you this question, and I need your audience participation, so I'm not doing any rhetorical questions unless I specify that one is rhetorical. So this is a real question. Um, what is the first actual relationship that precedes any other human relationship. Thank you. Very good, Mike. Mike said the Trinity. All right, so we very often uh, use a triangle to represent the Trinity, and that marker is dead, so we're not going to use that one. <laughs> we'll try another one. All right, so we use a triangle to represent the Trinity. Members of the Trinity, obviously, are the Father. Uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all right? And uh, the reason we talk about this relationship is because it lets you know something of the nature of God, that God has existed for how long? Ever. What's another word for forever? We just learned about eternity the other day, and I'm going to, I'm going to draw, if I can, this, this really uh, deplorable-looking, massive circle, not so deplorable, a massive circle. Now, the reason I'm drawing a circle is because I think that uh, just like the wedding ring represents uh, forever, you know, in the marriage of a man and a woman, I think this circle is a really good way to depict that the relationship of the Trinity has gone on forever. It's gone on for eternity. Where does God exist? In what way does he exist? 
in eternity. What kind of life does God have? He has eternal life, and that is what he has shared with the Father, I mean, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not think of the Trinity as having a relationship, but they are persons, and they relate to one another. How do you think, if you were to depict the way that the Father feels about the Son, what one word do you think would most describe how the Father feels about the Son? Love, exactly. So the Father absolutely loves the Son. And do you think there's a possibility that the Son loves the Father in much the same way? Absolutely. So there's a reciprocity there. There's a going back and forth. Uh, in love toward one another. And what about the Holy Spirit? How does he feel about the Father? Absolutely love. And the Father loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Son. And the Son loves the Spirit. So there's a whole lot of love going on here, right? Right? But it's not just love. There is the individuality of each member of the Trinity and yet there is the unity of each member of the Trinity. They're absolutely unique and distinct, but they absolutely love one another to pieces, right? And so this is a beautiful relationship. One uh, a Greek word that describes this relationship um, between the Father, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it, it comes from the same word as choreography comes from, and it, it, it literally implies that there is a dance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just imagine an eternal dance of love. Let me see. I told you I should have written this down. It, for some reason, Eucharisteo, and it's Elizabeth's thought, uh, maybe not Elizabeth's thought, but somebody else uh, said that to me. It is, just one second. Say again. Not, not Koinonia. It'll come to me. I'll get to you, Julie. I promise you, I'll give it to you. Nope, 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 nope. So right now I'm having brain fog, and you guys are just making it worse. So stop. Okay. So, this is, the, yes, perichoresis, who said that? Ryan. Oh, Ryan, you are the man. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Peri, P-E-R-I, cor, C-H-O-R, esis, cor, esis, perichoresis. And it literally does mean this dance of, in the Trinity that is beautiful. And, and here's a really cool thing, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but just write this down. God has invited me into the dance of the Trinity. Boom. All right, now, before I get way too far ahead of myself, so this is God. He's lived together in relationship for how long? How long does eternity go? Forever and ever and ever and ever, right? And it literally does mean this dance of in the Trinity that is beautiful. And, and here's a really cool thing, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but just write this down. God 
has invited me into the dance of the Trinity. Boom. All right, now, before I get way too far ahead of myself, so this is God. He's lived together in relationship for how long? How long does eternity go? Forever and ever and ever and ever, right? And um, God has enough love for the entire Trinity. That love actually is, is flowing in him to the point of what? Overflowing. So if you have more than enough love that you can actually share in this way, what might you do? What might you do? Share it. But if there's nothing there to share it with, then what might you do? You might create something to share it with. Now, I can't say for absolutely certain that that's why God did it, but I suspect in, in my own private little heart and devotional life that God was motivated by a desire to share in the riches and the abundance of the Trinity with others, and so he created. Now, where do we go typically when we want to find the story of God's creation? We go to the book of Genesis, and so today we're going to turn to the book of Genesis. You can look at it, but I've got... Carlton, uh, and he's going to read for us from Genesis chapter 2. Now, I'm not doing the whole Genesis story. Most of you know the beautiful uh, narrative of the Genesis story. I'm going to pop into the Genesis story where uh, God begins this creative process of, of human beings. And um, Carlton's going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to the end. Carlton? Did you forget me? Waiting. Ooh. There we go. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out from the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of this first is the Pichon. Pichon. In the winds, yeah, it's French. God's French. All right. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Kush. Now you guys got me. My wife's laughing next to me. All right. The name of the third river is the Tigris. Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made, for, made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Awesome. Let's give a woman some eyes. Actually, see, she's going to need those. All right. Thank you so much. We're going to start just by taking a look at where God started. This God who is uh, relational, he is the source of all life, the source of all power, of love, and of identity. He created man. Genesis 1, which Carlton didn't get to read, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created mankind, how? In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27. So man is created in the image of God. Man is a reflection of something of the character of God. We, we don't know exactly what that is, but we know some things about man that are also true about God, right? Man is relational, all right? Man has the ability to create. He has the ability to think. He has the ability to choose. Those are all aspects of the creation of man which are really similar to uh, God as he existed. All right, so this man was created to live in relationship with God. There was an intention here that man would have a relationship with God, that God would be the provider and that man would live in dependence or reliance upon God. Now, let's just stop right there for just a second. This is the way it was intended to be, that, that man would live his life in dependence upon God and that he would rely on his Lord. Genesis, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10 says, uh, Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, who walks in darkness and has no light? This is what the prophet commands, him, commands us. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And in this garden relationship, this idyllic Edenic relationship, God as source overflowing with love and life, provided life to man. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, God also created man with needs. This is really interesting. 
and I'm going to like use the heart to express those needs. And I want you to think with me for just a moment and, and tell me some things, not, not necessarily the physical needs that we have in order to uh, f- fully function here on the planet, but what are some of the emotional, relational type needs that all of us as human beings share in common? Okay, healthy touch. Communication. What else? Affirmation. Acceptance. Beautiful, Julie. Yeah? Empathy. Great. Yeah, belonging. Belonging and acceptance, really good words. They go together. Yeah. Security. Absolutely. Who said that? Was that you, Tiger? Yeah, it was. All right. So man needs security. He needs love, he needs acceptance, he needs belonging, but he also needs this other thing, and every one of you know what I'm talking about when I say man needs to feel as if he has some significance in this world, right? Don't we all have a sense that we need some purpose, some meaning, some significance, something that is greater than our, um, the world around us? Absolutely. So this man is in need of that, and is God capable of providing this for man? That is the question. Is God capable of providing it for him? What did God do? Genesis 2, 15, the Lord God took the man, he put them in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. God gave man a job, and it it blessed him with a sense of significance, of a story that was greater than just his own issues. It was his work. So this man has needs, and he has needs for love and acceptance, and God is the source and the provider of it, but God has also wired him not only for a need for relationship with God, but also for relationship with others. In Genesis chapter 2, 18, it says, the Lord said to, um, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And therefore, he made for him a helper which was suitable for him. Now, the big problem is with most men, a lot of times we have needs, but we don't like to admit it. Guys, am I right? I mean, we we like to just pretend as if our needs aren't all that great, right? We we can do it on our own. We're tough. We're, yeah, okay. Maybe some of you have actually... Uh, come to that epiphany where you realize that that's not true. But most of us, most of us uh, try really hard to get our needs met in ways that uh, just don't work. But God set Adam up and he told him to go to the garden and to sit down and go through the process of naming all of the animals. And so God allowed all the animals to come before Adam and to pass before him. And this big gray thing with a trunk and big ears came by and and Adam came up with a name for him. I don't know if it was elephant, but that's the word we use for it. But he named him. He gave him Mr. and Mrs. Elephant. And then the porcupines came by with the pickery things. And he came up with a name for them, Mr. and Mrs. Porcupine. And, and they came before him, how? Two by two by two. And they, they came in, in, in pairs. And there's Adam. You know, she, she hasn't been created yet. Let's just pretend that that's not there. She's not been created yet. And so he is... He is um, he is on a journey toward discovering that he has need. And, um, and he goes before the Lord and he tells the Lord, you know, for all of the other creatures, there is a partner, but there is none suitable for me. 
And so there's a moment of discovery that he actually does have need that could be met by something else, and there is longing in him. I think God set him up to discover this. And he awakens to the reality that he has need, and so God puts him to sleep, and in the night, he creates this beauty and lays her next to him, and he awakens to find her, and he goes, wow. Whoa. Yeah, okay. All right. So, whoa, wow, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, so woman is now created, and she too, as the scripture has already said in Genesis 1.27, she too was created how? In the image of God. She was created in the image of God, just as man was, and she was created for relationship with God. The, God's plan, his intention was that woman would also uh, depend upon God and that he would provide for her. Right? But God placed these two together for a purpose. The question is, what was that purpose? If I were to write the word depend here, that would not be consistent with what God's intention was for man. It wasn't, it wasn't that God created man to depend upon woman or woman to depend upon man, but that as man and woman were depending upon God, that they would minister to one another as their needs were being met by God. You see, Every gift and every perfect gift flows down from who? The Father. We're going to call the sum total of that life. God gives life to his kids. And guess what they do together? They share in the life of God. Or that was the intention life of God. That was God's original intention. So man would walk with God in the cool of the day. He would share his heart, his concerns with God, and God would provide for him. And Adam would then, out of his fullness, how? Minister to the woman. And the woman would go to God and depend upon him for all of her needs and her needs, too, would be filled by and met by God. And then the two of them would share in the life of God. Pretty beautiful picture, isn't it? Not the drawing, of course, but <laughs> the image of the way that God created it so that all of us would be able to have this experience of loving one another. So the woman, she is created in the image of God. She's created for a relationship with God. And she has a place of security. And that place of security is tied to the relationship that she has with the man. And she has needs and knows it. And she allows those, some of those needs to be ministered to by the man. And this is the way it was meant to be. Where each is depending upon God ministering to one another, 
Each one has an intimate relationship with the Father. And guess what? Each one of them can stand in the reality of their own gender. I am male, and, and I am here to initiate. I am here to lead. I am here to provide. I am here to engage. And the woman, I, I am woman. I am, I am here to bless. I am here to receive. I am here to encourage. Each one being fully aware of their distinct, distinct gender and being able to love each other in the way that the Father desires. And I love this one particular passage. I don't remember which of the verses said it. Maybe one of you can tell me. I think it was the last verse. And um, they were naked and unashamed. Carl, what word comes to your mind when you think of naked and unashamed? Vulnerable. What was that? Babies. Babies. (laughs) Thank you, Sharon. There was a command to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, yeah, that's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Right. All right. You guys are distracting me. All right. So here we are. Naked and unashamed. This is the way it was intended to be. Vulnerable before God, vulnerable with one another, sharing together in this beautiful life that God is providing for them. And you know what? God provided them with a tree. He gave them this amazing tree, and it was called the tree of life. And he was, they were told to eat of that tree as much as they wanted to. This was God's provision for them. He was blessing them with all that they needed in this tree of life. That's where they were intended to go. But being, um, being a God who, who uh, wants to be wants to be worshipped and loved by choice and not by force, he also places within this garden a, a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's really interesting that the writer of the book of Genesis would choose the name, the knowledge of good and evil, for this tree. It doesn't just say the tree of evil. It says the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so this tree is about an awareness that God didn't want them to have. He delighted in their nakedness and unashamedness. He wanted them to live in a freedom of life without that hypersensitivity and caution about like, what's right and what's wrong? Am I going to do something to mess up? He wanted them to live in freedom from that. And he said, do not eat from this tree. Because in the day that you eat from this tree, what's going to happen? You will surely die. And dadgummit, if there wasn't a serpent in the garden, and uh, he was craftier than all the other creatures. I always draw a little head with a little forked tongue. And he comes along, and he does what he does best. He lies, and he deceives, and he tempts, and he tells them that God is keeping something from you. He's preventing you from seeing. He's preventing you from knowing. God is not being honest with you. He's not telling you everything. And because it was relentless, and because they were uh, human and made of dust, their, their thoughts and their minds were free to make a choice. And they, in that moment, decided to satisfy their curiosity and to go rogue. 
to become independent from this beautiful gift of life, this sharing in the life of God forever, they decided that they would eat from the tree of the knowledge of evil because God must certainly must be keeping something from them. And the scripture tells us that in the day they ate of that, they surely died. Death is the opposite of life. And so this horrible division between God and man was created. Death occurred. Their needs were no longer being met by their father in the way that they were intended to be met. And so suddenly there was no life to share with one another. And instead of ministering to one another as they were created to, they had no one to depend upon And so they depended upon one another. That goes okay for a little while, right? You know, we have a little bit to share, right? On our own. But it doesn't last for long. And before long, one of them does something to disappoint the other one and a wound occurs. And when a wound occurs, a brick is laid. And when a brick is laid, a wall begins to form. And every time a brick is laid because of some hurtful word or disappointment, you didn't come home from work on time. You didn't notice my new blue jeans. You're always in the woods hunting or fishing, okay? And so on. And it just goes on and on and on. And you know what a wall does? It isolates us from one another. But we're still in relationship with one another. We still have one another. They still have one another. But every time a disappointment would occur, they had to do something, and so they would lob missiles at one another. Just imagine missiles being thrown over the wall to one another to explode on the other side. And when that doesn't work, we try to go under the wall with torpedoes. And what ends up happening is we hurt one another and we wound one another and we tear one another down. And it ought not to be so. Our, our insistence on having knowledge of good and evil and going independent from God and living independent from his tree of life and provision, our insistence on uh, turning one another into God's creates a relational idolatry. Write that down, relational idolatry. It's a codependence that is unhealthy and ungodly. It's where we cause human beings to become godlike in our thinking and we worship one another in dependence until the other does something to break our heart or to disappoint us. 
And then this relationship of hostility is formed and we're despising one another and we're frustrated with one another and we're hating one another. And in this state, that ministry that we were intended to have deteriorates into manipulation. And the man develops a set of strategies for trying to get his own needs met. Now let's take this out of the garden after other, other people were created. And we've got, you know, another dude or a group of dudes that are friends. And um, there's also there, we're not in the garden anyway, by the, by the way. There's also a curvy lady um, there. And uh, each of these uh, characters has other people that they are, uh, have the possibility of relating to. And um, so when one of them um, is not getting their need met as they would hope, guess what ends up happening? We start to look toward others outside of the marriage relationship. It, it might be, um, you know, it might be pornography, or it might just be lust and looking at other people, but it might actually be engaging one another in a relationship of dependence, which then uh, is like a, a barrage of missiles and torpedoes being thrown at the other one to say, you're not enough. I want something more than you. And, and likewise, when, when she connects herself so much to the children or so much to the church and so much to her girlfriends that she never spends time and she never gets to know him and, and that relationship um, ends up hurting because they're isolated from one another. It is a barrage of missiles being thrown at one another. I, I just want to let you know that this is the mess that many of us find ourselves in. And it's the mess that many of your neighbors are in. But, but I want to share with you that God has not left us in this mess without hope. For God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to experience that death on our behalf on the cross. So that we might have the experience of life once again. I should have drawn that in red. God's desire for us is that we be restored to a relationship of life. And he made that possible through the gift of his son, Jesus. And do you know what? is required in order for us to experience this life. It, it, it is to return our eyes to the one who is the source of life and to express our dependence in him in faith. To, to take our, our trust and our reliance and our dependence that we were putting on other people or other objects or other things in this world and to lift them up to God 
and to depend upon him. And in that moment, God tears down the wall that divided us from him, and we are restored into newness of life. And he once again creates in us a new heart. We become new creations with a tender new heart of flesh, which God has placed within us to replace our heart of stone. And in this, God has expressed to us a forgiveness of the sin that we were living in and walking in. And he wants us to receive an awareness of that forgiveness for ourselves. But then he desires for us to express that forgiveness toward one another. And so, instead of depending upon one another, God wants us to once again minister to one another in love. And a really big piece of that is to begin by forgiving. We must recognize our tendency to lob missiles and repent of that. And instead of lobbing missiles at one another, grant forgiveness to one another. Instead of spreading torpedoes, sending torpedoes to cause death in, uh, with one another, God desires for us to give encouragement to each other. Now, our Father is inviting all of us back into a tree of life relationship. And he made that possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. This isn't just about a relationship with a man and a woman. Imagine that this is two, two men and their friends. Imagine what it's like for two men who are friends to not be depending upon God and then to look to one another to have their needs met. That relationship can become toxic and codependent. It can become unhealthy where one of them is completely self-focused and the other one is doing everything he can to please the other. Ever been there? Unfortunately, that's been a huge part of my struggle. I've been so concerned about pleasing other people, about, about doing what others would be happy with, that I, I have... Uh, compromise my own dependence upon God to try and please you. And it never, ever satisfies. At the very most, there's a temporal experience of, ah, that felt good. But before you know it, it sours and turns on you and you realize this person cannot be my source because the need that I have is the size and the shape of God. And no one individual, not my brother, not my wife, not my sister-in-law or my beautiful niece, none of them can fully satisfy the needs that I have for life. Only God can do that. And so we're commanded to lift our eyes from our human idols. And we're to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we're to depend upon him as our very source of life. 
Imagine being in a state of not being able to get enough oxygen. It's a picture of need, like where there just isn't enough air to breathe and you, and you can't breathe and all you want is to desperately take in a cool breath of oxygen, right? Each of us has a need for God to become aware of it, to become knowledgeable of it, and, and to allow that need to be directed to God. And to believe that God himself is capable as our source, the source of love, the source of power, the source of identity, it, that he is capable of giving to us what we need. And then to simply take in that breath of life. What does that do for us? It fills us to a place where we have what we need to minister life to another. But if we are not living in that relationship of dependence with God, then what ends up happening is our, our dependencies turn outward. It turns to the attaboys and the approvals and the you know, A-pluses on the report card or, or to the posts on Facebook. It turns to those things and they become our source. How good are they It's sourcing life for you. I suspect they're not very good at all. In fact, it's a momentary, fleeting sense of life that you get from them. And then you're left with great disappointment. And God has wired it that way. Because what does he desire from his children? He desires that we would live in utter dependence upon him as our father. That we would see him as the one and only source of real life. And that as the book of Hebrews tells us that we would lift our eyes to Jesus and fix them there. Because he is the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. He is the source of this life. And we can have this relationship once again where walls, emotional walls of separation and isolation are torn down over a lifetime of forgiving and walking in grace toward one another. Where man and woman are free once again to share in the life of God forever. Do you want that? Do you want that? It's, it's yours. It's available to you. It's, it's a gift that God is offering. And he's, he's holding it out to you and saying, I, I offer to you this gift. Will you trust me? Will, will you rely on me? Will, will you stop latching on to people as if they can do it for you? And will you look to me and let me fill you? And then you'll be so full that you'll have lots to share. And it'll all be for me. Let me pray for you. 
Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share this morning. Thank you for this beautiful passage from Genesis that teaches us so much about your ideal, the ideal of living in dependence upon you. God, I, I um, pray that in some way what we've shared today has been impactful to some. We repent together as a body of our relational idolatry. We repent of our dependence upon things, upon food. We repent of our dependence upon approval and acceptance of people. And we receive from you your love absolute and unconditional. We receive from you your acceptance in the beloved. We receive from you the security that we know that we are joined to the eternal life of God and that nothing can ever snatch us from your hands. We receive, Lord, the belonging that we have in the body of Christ as members of one another and of you. And we allow that to fill us God, we desire above all else to share in the fullness and life of God together as a body, as families, as husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends. God, would you make this teaching real to us and open our eyes to the truth you want us to see today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.